We're going to finish off what we started last week. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them to Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14. I want to thank our musicians tonight. Where, where is Mrs. Trude gone? And Christine Rara. Isn't it great to have young people standing up the front leading us in music? Did you enjoy that song service? I don't know what it was, but I felt the Holy Spirit here tonight. I want to thank my good mate Daryl for coming up and and sharing such a beautiful prayer with us. And uh, it it was just a good start tonight. And and I know the Lord's going to be with us. Daniel chapter 8 verse 14. Let's pray. Jesus, as we begin this Bible study, I pray now that you'll be with us, that you'll touch our hearts, all how we need it, and that you'll, you'll, you'll bring us into your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for, for hearing our prayer tonight in your name. Amen. And by the way, I apologise to the children, but my wife was at a conference for the Adventist Hospital in uh, Sydney today and I couldn't get anybody else to, to take her place. She's irreplaceable, to me anyway. Daniel chapter 8 verse 14. Remember Daniel is in a vision. We looked at this last week. Now whether you were here or not last week doesn't matter because I guarantee you'll pick up on this Bible study anyway. And he sees all these terrible things happening in the vision. His heart cries out, how long Lord? And I'm sure that he was relieved when an angel in the vision cried out, how long will this vision that Daniel had Go for. And Daniel 8 14 says, Unto 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. Then the sanctuary will be cleansed. And so last week we looked at the 2,300 day prophecy. Do you remember that? It started in when? 457 BC and it ended when? 1844. The Bible says, and it was a 2,300 day, or what does the Bible say prophetically a day is equal? So it's a 2,300 year prophecy. Began in 457 BC, ended in 1844. Now, if you weren't here last week, don't worry. It doesn't matter. You can come to me or Clifton. We'll come to your home. We'll come to your office. We'll we'll come into the church here, wherever. We'll explain it to you. But you will get something out of this tonight, I'll guarantee you. So what happens in 1844? Well, the Bible says what will happen. The sanctuary is what? Is cleansed. So my question is, what is the cleansing of the sanctuary? To answer that question, we have to go back almost 4,000 years in the Bible and look at the sanctuary in ancient Israel. Now if you have your paper and your pen, I want you to do this with me. And look, I'll guarantee, this is not a long study. But you stick with me, I guarantee you'll leave this place having been blessed. This is a great Bible study. Here's, and I'm going to be fairly quick and fairly basic here tonight. Here is the fence surrounding the sanctuary. Can you draw that? Here is the entrance to the sanctuary. And inside this fence was a tent, a very beautiful tent. 
And I want to tell you that I started reading the Bible from cover to cover last year in January. Well, what is it? It's, it's almost April 2006 and to my shame I've got to tell you, I still haven't made it to the end. But I want to tell you that in the books of Exodus and Leviticus, there is a whole heap of stuff about this sanctuary, about this tent. In fact, it gives you literally every single detail. And when you're reading it from Genesis to Revelation, and you get into Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, it is a discipline and yet a great blessing to read about this sanctuary. It was a tent. The tent was divided into two parts by a large curtain. So if you can draw the curtain in there, that would be good. This area of the sanctuary, and I might ask for some help, was called what? The outer court or the courtyard. I'm going to call it today the courtyard or the outer court. Now, there was something very special in this courtyard. Do you know what it was? A altar. We're just going to draw the altar like that. Now inside the tent were some interesting things. This area of the tent, which was the first compartment of the tent, was called what? Okay, sounds like some of you know this. The holy place. And this inner court, this inner part of the tent was called the what? Most holy place. Now, I wish we had, you know what? We could do a whole series on this sanctuary and the furniture in it and what it means and all of it is symbolic of what Jesus is, did for us on what? The cross. And what he's doing for us right now in heaven. It's magnificent. It's a magnificent study. We might do that sometime, Clifton. But tonight we don't have the time except to say this. Help me out. What was in this holy place? Okay, the candlesticks. This side or that side? I know, I know. I'm just wondering whether you know. Top side, you're right. We had the candlesticks. What else? What's that? That's the altar of incense. What's this? Table of showbread. All this symbolic furniture points to Jesus. Inside, was there anything else in the tent? Yes, there was the, the bread on the um, table. Okay, I can't draw that. <laughs> yes, bread on the table. Now, here's the question. Was there anything else? A lot of Adventists don't forget this part. Yeah, did you know Daryl? Yes, there's all, yeah, that's true, there's all the utensils. I'm not going to draw that in, I'm not going to explain it too much. Was there anything else? What am I doing here? Now the veil's already up. What's that? There was a drain. Did you know that? Like a drain, it's probably not called it, but there was a, there was a gutter running along before the veil. Hold, did you know that? Hmm. Let's stop there and have a look at the most holy place. What's in it? The Ark of the Covenant. Somebody told me, 
And I know we have some scholars here tonight that Ellen White said that the Ark of the Covenant will be found before the second coming. But I've never found that quote. Has anyone? You know where it is? You better show me that, Laurelie. I want an email telling me where to find that because wouldn't that be something if the Ark of the Covenant was found? What did the Ark have on it? And I can't draw two. Two cherubims or two what? Two angels. Inside the Ark was what? There was a pot of manna. Aaron's budding rod. And the Ten Commandments. But we've forgotten... Yep, one special thing that we haven't mentioned. What was it? It was the what? What's that? The mercy seat, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God himself was in the temple. This was God's home. Now God's omnipresent, in other words, he's everywhere. But his presence was specifically here and it was interesting to me that how many tribes of Israel were there? Twelve tribes. Three tribes here, camping. Three tribes here, camping. Three tribes here, camping. And three tribes here, camping. And right in the centre of the camp is the temple with the presence of who? What does that tell you about what God wants in our lives? He wants, does he want to be on the outside of the camp or in the centre? That's magnificent, isn't it? Now, now I'm going to go to the Bible in a minute and I want you to turn to Leviticus. But just before I go there, I want to tell you one more thing. No, I'm going to go to the Bible. I'll tell you when we go to the Bible. Go to Leviticus. Chapter 16. And I want to tell you that I find every time I do this, this most fascinating. Leviticus chapter 16. And I want to start at verse 6. Once a year in Israel, there was a special one day service that was to deal with this temple, this sanctuary in the middle of the camp. It was called, do you know what it was called? The Day of Very Important Service. Let's see what happened. And I'm going to jump around a bit because I'm trying to keep this as simple as I can. Verse 6. Aaron, who was what? On this special day, the Bible says in verse 6, Aaron is to offer a bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his what? Now, stop right there and I want to tell you what would happen every single day of the year. If you sinned, and and you know what, I wish I understood this Better. I wish I understood the physical practicalities of this better. Um, how it worked exactly in their lives, I've never been quite able to pick up exactly. But you get 
a window into the lives of the Israelite to find out how it did work. What would happen is if you sinned, you would take a lamb, a spotless lamb that had been living in your family, a pet, a young lamb. This is if you sinned. And you would take that lamb and you would carry it here through the gate into the courtyard. And that priest would take the lamb, symbolically transferring your sin onto the head of what? The lamb. He would then sacrifice that lamb on the altar. Now, now let's, let's tell me the symbolism. Who does the lamb represent? Who takes your sins? You better believe it. He loves you. And it's as simple as getting on your knees and saying, Jesus, forgive me. The moment you, that he, he hears that cry, he's waiting for it, he's expectant, he desires to hear it. The moment he hears that cry, he takes your sin, right, to himself. It is, re- it is as real as, as, Graham, come here for a second. This is how real it is. I'm on my knees. I'm praying to the Lord. Here's my sin somewhere around my heart. I say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, now Graham's not Jesus. It's just symbolic here. Graham reaches out. uh, Graham. Jesus reaches out. Have I asked him to take the sin? Huh? Have I? He takes the sin. It is a real thing. Am I right? To himself. Now, who does the sin belong to? Me or Jesus? What happened to the lamb? It was sacrificed. How did they actually kill the lamb, do you know? They cut its throat. Jesus takes my sin and he is nailed on the cross. He dies and pays the penalty for it. You understand that, right? You can sit down, Graham. This service would happen 365 days a year. There must have been a lot of blood. That wasn't the end of it, though. The priest would then take some of the blood and sprinkle it before the what? In this gutter, before the bath. What does that blood represent? The atoning sacrifice for what? Sin. In effect, the sin is taken from where? Here to where? Into the holy place. Before the throne of what? God. Now, let's stop there for a moment. I want to ask you a simple question. When I give my sin to Jesus today, I wish we had more time for this, but we don't. I could take you through text after text. It's glorious. Go and study Hebrews. When I give Jesus my sin, I ask him to forgive me and he takes it. He literally takes it from me. Where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. Let's not go too far, Adventists. He's in heaven. He takes my sin and he presents it before who? This service is a type of what? of what is happening in heaven. Jesus gave this to the Jews so they would understand what he was to do for them on the cross and later in heaven. Look, the same thing, is there a sanctuary in heaven? This is a copy. 
Is there a ministry going on in that sanctuary in heaven? You better believe it. Under 2,300 years, then that sanctuary shall be cleansed. Or then will be the heavenly day of atonement. This day of atonement on earth once a year represents richly the day of atonement that began in heaven in 1844. The Bible says under 2,300 years, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. It was a day of judgment as in heaven. It is a day of judgment. We'll see that in a minute. Now I better keep moving. Those sins, that blood would lay on the floor would take it in each day and lay on the floor for 365 days. The part, the practical part I don't understand is this, and I'll be happy for some of you to come and share with me your understandings of it later on. If I went and I sacrificed the lamb and then I went home and walked into the tent and my wife had did, and I'm not being, I'm not being flippant here, I'm talking about realities, and my wife had done something that upset me and I yelled at her and I yelled at the kids and I kicked the dog. Does that mean that immediately I've got to take another lamb into the sanctuary? I want to tell you this much I do know. That if every time you sinned, you had to kill a spotless lamb, you'd be starting to think about sin a bit more, wouldn't you, Daryl? And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Hey, sin is serious. You get caught in sin, you are in trouble. And there's only one thing that's going to save you. It's blood, and it's not the blood of a lamb, it's the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. So what happens? Those sins lie there. Now, on the Day of Atonement, Aaron would sacrifice what? A bull. Not a lamb, but a bull. Why a bull? I've never been able to answer that. Bullock, mine says bull. You're in an old version, brother. <laughs> Same thing I think. Bullock, bull, it doesn't matter. Why? But why a bull? You know, I, I don't know exactly. And I searched the Bible for an answer on that and I couldn't really... Perhaps it's big. Um, this is big. Um, I don't know, but that's what God asked and that's what Aaron did. And the bull was for the sin of who? Was it for Israel? It was for him and his family. Now what else happens? Let's keep moving because we're going to run out of time here. I want you to take, go to verse 14. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover and then shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times on the atonement cover. Look. Verse, he is to take the blood of that bull. He would walk through here into the holy place. What's the atonement cover? It's another name for what? This here. He would take that blood. He would walk in behind the veil, behind the curtain, and he would sprinkle the blood representing what? His and his family's what? And he would present it to who? Who was, who was there? To God. Okay. Let's go to verse 15. He shall then slaughter a goat. In fact, I'd like to take you back for, for a little bit to see if I can pick that. Uh, verse 9. Just let's have a look at that. Aaron. Um, no, let's go to verse 8. Sorry. He is to cast, this is Aaron, he is to cast lots for two goats. 
Right at the beginning of this service, Aaron would select two goats. This is interesting. What would he do with them? He then would, verse 15, slaughter one of the goats for a sin offering for the people and then he would take the blood behind the curtain and do it with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover in front of it. In this way, look at this. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of its uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same for them. Now look what would happen. That goat, now I can answer this question I think, that goat was sacrificed for what? The sins of Israel, was it a daily sacrifice out here? Was it sacrificed here? Yes, it was. Was it a daily sacrifice though? It was for the sins of Israel over the what? For their rebellion. And they were a rebellious, stiff-necked people, a bit like us. That's what they like. And what would happen is, symbolically, as he sacrificed this goat, he would take the blood in and again he would present it, the sins of Israel, to God. But what I find interesting is symbolically he was taking all these sins that had been in the temple for how long? Have I lost you or are you still with me? Are you with me? He would take those sins that had been laying in... Are they forgiven sins? You better believe it. He would take them and he would present them to God. Who is Aaron representing? Israel only? Who else? The high priest who is who? Look at this. This is a beautiful thing. He would take the sins, forgiven sins. Who paid the price for these? The lamb. The lamb is Jesus. He would take these sins, this blood, and he'd present it. He'd give them then to who? To God. Now the Bible says that, and, and the Israelites to this day call this the cleansing of what? Of the sanctuary. Or they call it the day of, do you know what they call it? The day of atonement or the day of judgment. Why is it a day of judgment? Because the sins, are they forgiven or unforgiven? The forgiven sins paid for in blood are presented to who? Isn't that a beautiful thing? I want to tell you what began in 1844 was the same thing. The cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary. Since Adam and Eve sinned, the sins have been taken and put where? Were they given to Jesus? Let me ask you a question. Were they given to Jesus before the cross? Come on. So what happened to them? When you went on your knees, when Daniel got on his knees and asked the Lord to forgive the sins of his own life and that of his own people in Daniel 8, where did those sins go? Could I put it to you that they went the same place in the heavenly sanctuary as they did in the earthly sanctuary? Think of that. 
in expectation of what? Of the cross. When I sin, where are my sins taken? By who? Who? And they're put where? Before the veil. I'll read Hebrews. We might have to go back and do more of this next next semester when we, we get into this because I'm really, I'm really rushing. I just want to show you very quickly and I've shown you many times in this church but I want to show you one more time very quickly as we close this program what happens. Come here, Graham. Now, I hope you people of Wurunga know this and, and uh, I certainly hope those of you who are my Bible studies out here tonight know this, girl. When you ask Jesus to come into your life, he puts around you what? A robe. A what? A white robe of righteousness. A white robe that belongs to who? But what, is, what is it? It's a robe of righteousness. It's his character. So that when God looks at Graham, what does he see? He sees who? Jesus Christ, doesn't he? When God looks at Graham, he sees Jesus Christ who is perfect. Is Graham a sinner? Has he been a sinner? Well, I don't know any of his old girlfriends or... (laughs) I'm not sure what he's been up to. But yeah, he's a sinner. When Graham asks the Lord to forgive him, where are those sins put? Here. Are they forgiven sins? Who do they belong to? But sin is a real tangible thing. It is not just some airy thing that floats off. Sin, it is so real that Jesus Christ himself had to come and die on the cross and pay in blood the price for those sins. They lay in the sanctuary before the curtain. Are they forgiven sins? You better believe it. These are the sins of who? The redeemed. And Jesus, beginning, the Bible says, with the dead and ending with those who are alive, begins a day of judgment. How does he do that? Oh, we're going to go back here. I can tell you this next semester. I'm going to go back and show you this very clearly from the Bible. But I've got an overview because I run out of time. He takes the sins, my sins, forgiven sins, Graham's sins, forgiven sins, and he presents them to who? God. This is a day of judgment. Why? Because God looks at Graham and who does he see? Where are his sins? Given by Jesus to who? And what does Jesus say? He says, my blood, my blood. I have paid for these sins. Yes, they're Graham's, but now they're mine. I paid for them. I paid the price. And here they are, God, paid for. So that when God looks at Graham, he sees a perfect person. And what does he say? Welcome Graham to where? Welcome to the kingdom, man. Welcome to the kingdom. Sit down. Now I want to close with this because we run out of time. Oh, I promise you, we're going back here. I love this. But I've got to close. I want to take you right to verse 21. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat. So one of the goats is sacrificed. By the way, why was a goat the sin sacrifice? I've got to ask you this before we finish. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back for the sheep and the goats. Who are the goats? They're the lost, they're the rebellious, they're the sinners. What happens to the goats? They what? Now let me ask you, why goats? the goat is sacrificed? He's a sin offering. Why? Who does this goat represent? Ha ha ha. 
He sacrificed for a sin offering. Who does this goat represent? Us? Jesus comes back, with you in a second, for the sheep and the... The goat is a what sacrifice? A sin sacrifice for who? Israel. Is it a daily or yearly? What are you going to say? Don't, 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 don't twist me here or else you'll get me into trouble. <laughs> it's very interesting that the goat skin was born by Jacob who was not entitled to the firstborn blessing. That is interesting. He received the goat skin, he received the blessing of mm. the firstborn. That's very interesting. I've never seen that. This guy's a deep thinker. Can I put it to you, as we close tonight, that Jesus became a what? He became sin for us, a goat. Isn't that incredible? He actually became sin for us. He took our sins, he became sin. He took our sins, he he became more than that, he became sin. He who knew no sin had sin laid upon him, became, and it was the sin that killed him. Isn't it beautiful? I just love the symbolism here. But what happens to this goat? So one goat is sacrificed, but look what happens to the other goat. This is the one who's still alive. He's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place and the man shall release it in the desert. And what would happen to the goat? Goat would die. Were those sins forgiven that were put on the goat's head? I'll tell you what happens when Jesus gives these sins, our sins. Only those who love the Lord and are saved have their sins here before the veil. This is the sins of the redeemed, of the saved. This is the judgment of the saved. This is the cleansing of the sanctuary. Daniel cries, how long shall this go on? Under 2,300 days, God says, then I will begin the judgment of the earth. And he starts with the saints. And when these sins in the heavenly sanctuary are given to God, the Bible says that he lays down the scepter. And what does he do? He sends his son Jesus to do what? To save the world. You have the second coming. And then you have a thousand year millennium. And then you have the third coming where, where the new Jerusalem comes down. The Mount of Olives splits in two. Oh, what a magnificent scene. All the wicked are raised and the sins of the saints. They're forgiven sins. But the responsibility for those sins is dumped back on the goat's head. Who's that? That Satan himself. And the Bible says that Satan and the wicked come up against the city and fire comes down from heaven, consumes the earth and then the Bible says and the new earth was created and we will live with Jesus for eternity without sin because of the Lamb. Don't you think it's beautiful? Now I hope I haven't confused. Did you get what I'm trying to tell you tonight? It is beautiful. We're going to go back there this year, I will guarantee it. We might do a four or five week section on this and we're going to unpack this and I'm going to show you what I showed you tonight which was a big overview. I'm going to show it to you verse by verse in the Bible. It is glorious. Let's stand and we will close.
Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for sinners like us. Sinners of whom, Lord, I am chief. We praise you for Jesus. And tonight we invite Jesus into our hearts. We pray for that robe of righteousness that only he can give. In that great day of judgment, Lord, that began in 1844, that judgment for the righteous, please, Lord, as our name comes up, stand in for us. We're thanking you, Lord, in advance for your ministry. We're looking forward because of your ministry to seeing you when you come and entering into the kingdom for no other reason, Jesus, than you chose to die and save us. Thank you, Lord, thank you. Keep us loyal and faithful to that day, I pray in your name. Amen.